You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Story goes that Victor Hugo, a French poet and novelist, wrote in his journal the night before he died, saying nothing, not all the armies of the world can stop an idea whose time has come. More than just any idea, the idea has come. The word has come. God has revealed himself. The scriptures say that in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and by Him, and for Him, and that in Him was life, because He was the life. Nothing can stop an idea whose time has come. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The Lord has revealed himself to make known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, because through him we have redemption through his blood to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I'm standing here before you today not as someone who has all the answers. I'm standing here before you today not as someone who has it all figured out, not as someone that is better than anybody. But the thing is, I know the one who has all the answers. I know the one who has it all figured out. I know the one who is truly better than anyone and anything. God has revealed himself. Like Psalm 40, the experience of the Christian life is a series of ups and downs. There are mountains and there are valleys. There is suffering and there is praise. There is sin and there is redemption. Life can be messy. It doesn't fit into these neat categories. And in this psalm, we see that. We see a mixture of thanksgiving, lament, praise, and petition. Even after praising God and thanking him for his deliverance, David here goes back and is in distress and is pleading for God to deliver him again. But in all that, in all of this, we see that God reveals himself. 
we see that the Lord reveals himself to us and the Lord reveals himself through us. Would you pray once again with me? Father, you are glorious and you are good and we know this because you have revealed yourself to us. Would you even right now reveal yourself to us in greater measure, O Holy Father? Would you reveal yourself to us through your word and by your spirit, by pouring your grace on us during this time? Would you use your word to impact our lives so that we would be reflectors of your glory and goodness, that you would reveal yourself through us in greater measure in our lives, that we would bear the fruit of your spirit, that it would lead to countless good works in our world. Oh, that, would we, that we would reflect your glory Give us, right now I ask, eyes to see your glory. Help us to live for your glory because you deserve all glory. Feed us through your morning, through your word this morning, I ask, oh Father. I ask this in your son, Jesus, by the grace of your spirit. In your name, oh God, we pray, amen. One of the ways that God reveals himself that we see very clearly here throughout this psalm in Psalm 40 is deliverance. Deliverance. God delivers us. Deliverance biblically takes on so many different forms and, and, and different um, ways, but the truth still remains the same no matter what, that, that God is the one who delivers us. We see deliverance mentioned explicitly, first by David recounting past deliverance. We see this in verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. We see this in verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. And then we see request for future deliverance. In verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. In verse 17, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. But then there's the mentioning of the concept of deliverance by describing it in other ways and even describing God's disposition in deliverance. We see the word salvation being used in verse 10 and verse 16. We see the word mercy in verse 11. And then we see the combination of, of steadfastness and faithfulness being used twice once in, in verse 10 and then verse 11, and that alludes to the, the book of Exodus in chapter 34, verse 6, where it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we see that combination of words used here in verse 10. 
I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. In verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me, your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself to us as our deliverer. And part of this is this God who delivers us, is present and can hear us. How incredible is that? The God of the universe, the creator of everyone and everything can hear us. And we don't see the word deliverance, but it is described in vivid terms in the first two verses of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. David cries out to God in this moment, knowing God can hear him. The Lord is a God who hears. He heard David's cry, and the Lord, it says, inclined to him. David waited patiently and relied completely on God. He poured out his tears before the Lord, and God heard him. Without even choosing the word deliverance, David describes the experience of deliverance. Says God drew David out of the pit of destruction. He drew him out of the miry bog. We don't know the exact circumstances of David's situation here, but whatever it was, it felt like he was in the mud, that he was in the grime, in the depths of a pit. But God lifted him up. He carried him and he placed his feet upon a rock and made his steps secure. Church, oh, don't you know that God is strong and mighty to deliver? So I don't, I don't know where you shop for groceries. I'm, I'm kind of more of a, like a, a Cub Aldi type of person. I don't know about you. Uh, I, honestly, I don't really mess with Whole Foods that much. I'm just throwing it out there. Sorry for, for any of you guys mess with Whole Foods. But, but the thing is, one time I had to go to, to Whole Foods, and um, I, I think Erica needed a cake. She wanted a cake. And uh, my oldest daughter, Lily, I think she, she mentioned that they got it at Whole Foods. And so I'm with my, my, my two sons, JJ and Nashawn. And, and we drive, we, we get there, and I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't know where everything is at. You know, I'm trying to figure out, like, where's the bakery section, you know? And I'm kind of feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you know, I'm not really, you know, that's not my, you know, that's not my stomping grounds. And so I'm walking in, trying to figure stuff out, and it takes about, like, five, ten minutes. Finally, I find the, the bakery section. And, and, and then I'm like, I'm excited, okay, we're here. I look down, and I realize my son, Nashawn, this guy doesn't have shoes on. 
my, my man's was in straight up socks, walking around Whole Foods. Oh my goodness, I was, I mean, I already felt uncomfortable, but at that point I realized like, yo, this is just straight up embarrassing. And so obviously like I'm not gonna just let him walk around Whole Foods in his socks. And so I, I pick him up, you know, I, I carry him and then I have to get the cake. So I get that, I'm, I'm trying to hold the cake, I'm trying to, to, to hold Nishan. And the thing is, I, just to, the disclaimer, I left the house, he had shoes. I'm not that type, you know, I'm just, he had, he left it in the, in the van, okay? But, so I'm, I'm trying to carry him. I'm carrying him, I'm carrying this cake, I'm trying to make sure JJ like tags along and then I'm getting to the, the cashier line and I'm trying to, I'm fumbling for my wallet. And, and the thing is, I'll, I'll be honest, like I was irritated. I was frustrated. I was able to carry him, but, but, but I was a little bit angry. And the thing is, God is not like that. God is not like that. He carries us and doesn't get tired of us. He takes us out of the pit of destruction that we were in even when we were dead in our sin. God made us alive in Christ by his grace through the Spirit and even right now. He carries us. He carries you. He carries us through the miry clay. He carries us through the quicksand of our lives. He holds us up through the hurricanes in our circumstances that feel like they will destroy everything. He carries us through the storms that we experience. He guides us when the night is dark and we can't even see which way is up. He keeps us when the earthquakes in our lives threaten to crumble even the ground we stand on. He carries us. He upholds us when the ground from under us actually does give way and he places us on the solid ground. He has set our feet on the rock and has made our steps secure. God reveals himself to us by being the great deliverer. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. That, that doesn't mean that you don't feel the storm when you're in the storm. It doesn't mean that we won't get cut up or bruised. It doesn't mean that we won't get hit. It doesn't mean that some jabs or left hooks won't get through. It doesn't mean that we won't take some shots from the enemy of our souls or that we won't feel the fallenness of this world. It doesn't mean that we will never get hurt or that we won't suffer. It does mean that in all our suffering, even when it's hardest in the middle of our trials, 
we have the solid ground of his steadfastness and faithfulness. We have the solid foundation of his word, the solid rock that is Christ under our feet, the unbreakable reality of Jesus' work on the cross and of who Christ is. Let us wait patiently for the Lord. Let us wait patiently for the Lord, knowing that our steps are secure in the Spirit, the one who comforts us and guides us, who leads us and empowers us, the one by whom we are secure, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. God reveals himself. The Lord reveals himself to us in deliverance, but also in his revealed will and how we've fallen short. We see this in verses 6 through 8 and verse 12. In verse 6, when it comes to God not delighting in sacrifices, one commentator notes that the psalmist here knows that animal sacrifices and offerings were mandated by God, but if they were not offered in genuine repentance and faith, God did not want them. In 1 Samuel 15, the, the prophet confronted King Saul for trying to use sacrifices as a self-justifying means to clearly disobey what God had commanded him to do. And so Samuel rebuked Saul, saying, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. Church, listen, all sin is deceitful, but sometimes sin can be its most deceitful when it has a, a, a religious exterior or when it is coming from an, a, an assumed inward spiritual motivation. And one of the ways this happens is, is when we pick and choose parts of the Bible to follow and obey, but then disregard other parts. H.B. Charles talks about how, how, how people, people treat the Bible. Christians can treat the Bible Sometimes like a, a buffet at a restaurant. You know, you walk through the buffet and, and you look, see what looks good to you. You take some things here, take a few things over there, and then you can disregard the rest. But the thing is, the, the scriptures are more like eating food at mama's house. What mama cooks, you eat. It is what it is. Shout out to my moms with that arroco navichuela. That's rice and beans, if you didn't know. Listen, you will either submit to God and his word or you will end up trying to be God over his word. In Luke 11, Jesus goes hard after the, the religious leaders. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus said that, that you should have done these without neglecting the others. The, the Pharisees were more interested in, in keeping the outside of the cup clean, Jesus said. But he says inside the cup, even though the outside may look clean, inside the cup is full of greed and full of self-indulgence. He says, clean the inside of the cup that the outside may also be clean. And so the Lord wants God-glorifying obedience no matter the cost, not self-justifying obedience that self-selects when to obey best on our own convenience. In verse 11, to the end of the psalm, we see a, a turn from a, a past deliverance to a, a new dilemma and need. In verses 12 through 15, David asks for deliverance from a combination of evils outside of him, David's own iniquity, and then David's enemies. And so we're just going to focus on, in on verse 12 where David confesses his sin by stating, my iniquities have overtaken me. And so it's just important to remember that at the heart of sin is the idea that we can be our own God and, and that we know what will truly give us joy. Having grandparents that were born into slavery, Gardner Taylor grew up in the Jim Crow South. He was a pastor for over 40 years in Brooklyn, New York, becoming by God's grace one of the most powerful preachers of the gospel in the last century. Speaking about mankind's condition, he said, the central lure in the Eden account of our human beginning was the temptation to exceed our humanity and to be as God's. He goes on, amidst the, the luscious fruit and the endless springtime, a slimy presence strikes at the most vulnerable element in the human makeup. The statement, the temptation, ye shall be as gods. And he says, all of history since supplies tragic evidence that this continues to lie at the heart of the human problem. We mortals are created a little lower than God, he says, and it's a lofty status, but in our attitudes and in our actions, we, for, we tend to forget the little lower part, and we seek the glory which cannot be forcibly seized, which is the status and prerogatives of God. Born in Ireland. C.S. Lewis was a professor at England's Oxford University. As a former atheist, he used logic and philosophy to become one of the clearest defenders of the Christian faith by God's grace in the last century. He remarked that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God 
which will make him happy. Listen, church, you will either submit to God and his word, or you will end up trying to be God over his word. You will either find your delight and joy in God's will and way, or you will find your delight and joy in your will and way, but it won't truly satisfy. The psalmist here, David, though admitting his iniquities in verse 12, we know that from verse 8, that he delights in the will of God and that he has stored God's law within his heart. And because of that, he willingly confesses his iniquities before the Lord because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And so David delights in God's will, and he doesn't delight in hurting others like those in verse 14. So obedience should come from the heart, and yet obedience cannot be confined only to the heart. Be transformed by the way of the cross. Be transformed by God's word in obedience and in loving sacrifice, surrendered to God's law and being generous in doing good to others. In Christ, God has cleansed our hearts. Though we are still far from perfect, and though we might not be where we want to be, we can look back and realize that we are not where we once were by God's grace. Be diligent in pursuing righteousness, knowing that the good work that he started in us, he will complete. Through his blood, we are righteous before the Lord because of his blood. And all of this is by grace, through faith. It is not of works as any man should boast. We don't save ourselves. God is our deliverer. God saves us. As a young poet named Tupac once said, maybe in time you'll understand only God can save us. We are not saved because we are good, but we are saved to do good. Why? Because God is good and we are called to reflect him as revealed through his will in the word. God has revealed himself. There's a, a distinct reality and yet an overlapping truth of how God reveals himself. So the Lord not only reveals himself to us, he reveals himself through us to others. And he reveals himself through us to others in observable ways. Obedience, as we just talked about, is one of the observable fruit of trusting God in our lives. But there's others. Praise. Sharing our faith with others, sharing a testimony of what God has done in our lives with others. 
so many different ways. We, we see that here in this psalm, verse in, in verses 3 to 5. It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. We see it in verses 9 through 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Listen, David does not restrain his lips from telling of his deliverance. Why? Because as he tells in verse 11, David doesn't restrain from telling his deliverance because God will not restrain his mercy from David. David is compelled to share the good news of the Lord's past deliverance and to use it as trust in the Lord's future deliverance. We share our stories so that others can see and put their trust in the Lord's, in the Lord. We share what God is doing in our lives, even when we stumble, even as we're just crawling towards God. Why? Because God uses weak human vessels like us, and he reveals himself through us. All of this, are, are just a response to his grace. We enjoy and express his everlasting goodness in praising him and thanking him and singing to him and proclaiming him and delighting in him and loving him and continuing to seek him and asking for that continued deliverance and all of it is a response to his grace. In all these things, God is revealing himself to you and through you. Sometimes we overthink, overthink evangelism. There's a, a time to go through the gospel and walk people through a gospel presentation. But that can't be the only time we talk about Jesus. I have a, a pastor friend of mine, his name is Pastor Brian. He, he says, we just got to brag on Jesus. Think about it. Like we, people love bragging about stuff. We, we brag about our, our favorite movies, a, a new show that we're watching. We brag about places that we've eaten and the new place that came out that everyone's got to try. We brag about songs. We brag about the podcast we've been listening to. We, we brag on our favorite sports teams. Listen, when, when the Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl, Pastor Kenny was talking about it for like 
I mean, he's still talking about it. He's still talking about it. And honestly, the, man, the Toronto Raptors won the, the finals. I mean, I can't, I, I, I get how it is. I get how it is. But we do that. We, we brag about the things that we love and that we enjoy. And so why wouldn't we boast in Jesus? Why wouldn't we share what God has done in our lives? I mean, it doesn't have to, simple things. Like, how's it going? Man, by God's grace, it's, I'm making it. One day at a time, but by God's grace, I'm, I'm doing good. Or how's, how, how was your weekend? Man, if God didn't love me, I don't know what I would do. You know what I mean? Shit, something. It doesn't have to be this heavy thing. Start out light, but we want to boast about Jesus. We want to boast in the cross. We want to even boast in our weakness so that God would get the glory. The Lord has revealed himself. The author of the book of Hebrews actually references Psalm 40. In verses 6 through 8 of chapter, excuse me, in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus said this about himself, and it's verses 6 through 8. And when you just look at Hebrews, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. The, 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 they show that the old covenant sacrifices were a shadow of the coming true sacrifice of Jesus. We know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins and that it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins in any complete way. And that's why in the old covenant they had to do it repeatedly, year after year. Sacrifices had to continue to be offered up and it was a, a bloody reminder that God had a provided a way for people to live on even in the midst of their sin. The blood of animals was not sufficient. There needed to be blood that was worthy to take away the sin of humanity. And Jesus, from before the foundations of the world, was willing to be that sacrifice out of love and for his glory. The son was on a mission to rescue all those who the father had given him. Nothing, not all the armies of the world can stop an idea whose time has come. And so when the fullness of time had come, in that present moment, God did the unthinkable. He entered his own creation in the person of the Son. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was conceived in the womb of a virgin to fulfill the prophet Isaiah and was not affected by the corruption of a sinful nature that we are affected with. 
And our Savior lived a sinless life and fulfilled all righteousness according to the law. He delighted in doing God's will in a way that no person had before. God's law was within his heart because the law was actually a reflection of his person even from eternity past. It was the goodness and the sweetness of the law of God embodied in the perfect Son of God. And Jesus walked perfectly before his Father in heaven. He sought to please his Father just as the Father was so pleased in the Son. Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. Though Jesus faced temptation like us so that he can sympathize with us, he never sinned. Not only did he live righteously in thought, in motive, and in deed, but he also died a death that he didn't deserve, but that every person before him and every person after him deserved, including you and me. And it wasn't just the physical suffering that he went through. Any one of us can be called to go through physical suffering like Jesus. And many believers around the world have. But there is something that he went through on the cross that none of his followers will ever go through. That is the perfect justice that we deserved because of our sins. That wrath that God has for sin and injustice. Jesus willingly took that on. Jesus willingly took on the flood of judgment that we inherited and had had our hand in. It was the scorching heat of God's condemnation over our wickedness. And Jesus gladly took it for us. On that cross, Jesus became a curse for us. Jesus became a curse on that tree. And by God's glorious design, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. What the devil meant for disaster, God meant for deliverance. The cross, that terrible instrument of justice has now become that beautiful place of redemption. For Jesus, it was the tree of condemnation, but for us, it becomes the tree of salvation. But before we even knew of the glory of the cross, Jesus died. The author of life died and he was laid in the tomb his body was just laying there 
lifeless, cold. I don't know when Satan, the father of lies and the great deceiver of humanity, I don't know when he realized that he was defeated. Maybe it was when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. Or maybe it was when it says that Jesus yielded his spirit. And maybe then Satan realized that there was something different about this death. Or maybe it was when a lifeless body began to breathe when the cold corpse turned warm with life. Maybe it was when Jesus' spirit returned to his body, but, but no matter when it was, the reality remains that the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Death couldn't keep him. Satan had been defeated, evil had been conquered, and the resurrection of Jesus was the seal from God the Father and the power of the Spirit declaring an emphatic confirmation of what the Son had accomplished. Validating the perfection of his person, vindicating the sufficiency of his work, that, that the prophecy from John the Baptist was true when he proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. by his spirit has been applying the work of Jesus' redemption ever since. He is creating a new people from every time period, from every tribe, tongue, nation, from every ethnicity and every culture, and his redemption is reversing the curse of sin and judgment. Listen, the Lord doesn't delight in disobedient sacrifice, and yet He delights when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12. The Lord doesn't delight in disobedient sacrifice, but let us, as it says in Hebrews 13, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And let us continue to do good and to share what we have for such sacrifices, the scriptures say, are pleasing to him. God's wisdom in Jesus might appear like foolishness to those who think they're wise. His strength in the cross might look like weakness to those who think they're strong, but the cross is the place that we die to ourselves and live in Jesus. We were dead, but now we have life. Jesus and his cross are the very wisdom and power of God. God reveals himself to us so that he can reveal himself through us, whether through honor 
or through dishonor, whether through slander or through praise. Even if we are treated as imposters in Jesus, we are true. Even if we are treated as unknown in Christ, we are well known. Even if we are treated as dead in Jesus, we live. Even when we are weak, he is strong. Even as we are being emptied, we are constantly being filled. Even when we are broken, God makes us whole. Though our bodies are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Though we might be in the crevice of the valley, we reside on the mountaintop. Though the night is dark, we walk in the brightness of the day. Though we battle our sinful nature, we are righteous in Christ. Though we engage in spiritual warfare, the enemy has been defeated. Though we might lose some battles, the war has been won. We live as sorrowful and yet we're always rejoicing. We might be poor and yet we make many rich. We might not have anything and yet we in Jesus possess everything. Church, nothing, nothing can stop an idea whose time has come and the Lord has come. Let us even now know that he will come again. And even now let us still continue to wait patiently for the Lord. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your specific circumstance is, but I know the one who does. The Lord knows your situation. The Lord is the God who sees, the God who hears. He's the one who inclines to us. He will not restrain his mercy from us. His steadfast love and faithfulness will sustain us and preserve us even when circumstances overwhelm us, even when the storm clouds overtake us, even when the waters come up to our neck, even when our enemies surround us and the fire rages, even when we are weary from crying out and when our tears run dry and our eyes grow dim even when our sins are more than the hairs on our heads and even when our hearts and bodies fail he will not restrain his mercy on us may all who seek the lord Rejoice and be glad in him. May those who love God's salvation continually say, Great is the Lord. Brothers and sisters, know that even though the night seems long, may we 
continue to say along with David in this closing verse of Psalm 40, as for me, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the precious, in the precious and glorious name of Jesus by the power and grace of your spirit. Oh God, you are so good and gracious in all your ways. You are holy and righteous in all of your works. You are the strength of our praise and the source of our joy. You are our help and great deliverer. Oh, in your presence, we find strength and joy. Your strength never ceases. Your goodness has no end, and you have shown the immeasurable riches of your love in your son, Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you. Any heart here that hasn't fully surrendered to you, I ask that your spirit would draw them, draw their heart to you. For every heart here that has surrendered to you and is in your son, I ask for a deeper love for you. May we continue to draw closer to you by your grace. Oh, keep us, oh God. You are our help and deliverer. Do not delay in the grace of your spirit and by your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. The table is the place where we're reminded that God has revealed himself and that he is a great deliverer. His deliverance is ultimately from sin and death by the blood of Christ. And so if your faith is in Jesus and you are trusting in him alone for your salvation. We invite you to eat and drink with us. If you want to know more about what repentance or faith in Jesus looks like, I would love to talk to you after this service. If you have any questions about your soul or about who God is and what he has done for you, Come and talk with us. Church, Jesus ate the bread of despair and death so that we can eat the bread of life. Jesus drank the cup of God's justice so we can drink the cup of God's peace. His body and blood are the true bread and drink. Let us serve you.